Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this episode with Buddy Deschler, it's really, really great. I know you're going to like it. I wanted to make sure to mention that you should stick around all the way to the end of the episode past the outro where our mastering engineer, Brandon Yoakum, will have the secret message of the day. Ooh, did you know that was happening? If you didn't know, make sure you stick around and check it out. Also, I wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest levels of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. Finding the right equipment for you is essential for ease of production and enjoyment of playing in your music making. But needing to rent or buy to try things out can be time-consuming and expensive. If you're looking for a new way to learn about new horns or other equipment, check out Houghton Horns. They offer free in-person virtual equipment consultations with their team of professional musicians, which means whether you live in Keller, Texas, or you live outside the United States, Houghton Horns is able to serve you. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. So whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you are looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I am here with the Buddy Deschler, member of Dallas Brass, co-founder, CEO, artistic director of the Brass Institutes of Virginia, and creator of the Entrepreneurial Student. I had to write all that stuff down because there's just too much to remember. So uh, I'm very honored to bring Buddy onto the show. Buddy has been very kind to me and giving me some opportunities to uh, speak with him on, um, I think we did the Tidewater Brass, the Fred Brass thing, a while back. And then I uh, spoke with his uh, studio as well. And so I'm really... Uh, thankful for the opportunity to be able to kind of turn it back on him and get some of his thoughts. Um, there's a lot to talk about, and I'm sure we'll get into all of it. But before we do, thank you so much, buddy, for being on my show and chatting with me. Yeah, Ryan, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, let's just start with your backstory, kind of how you got into playing the trumpet or playing music, if there was something before the trumpet. I was violin for a year before the trumpet, but uh, if there's anything like that, and then just kind of follow a little bit of your career and tell uh, how you got here so we can kind of just get to know you a little bit better. Sure, sure. So I'm from Fredericksburg, Virginia, and that's actually where I'm at right now. Uh, my hometown, the birthplace of Chick-fil-A sauce. Uh, so, oh, and like Civil War history and stuff. Like there's other important things, but, but Chick-fil-A sauce. Mostly, mostly the Chick-fil-A sauce thing. <laughs> um, that's my opener, whatever we're doing, Dallas Brass Clinics. That's um, great. So and if any of the guys are listening to this, they're like already rolling their eyes like 15, <laughs> 15 seconds into this podcast. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and I was doing music because I have an older sister who was doing music. And uh, she's two years older than I am, and she was taking clarinet lessons and voice lessons with this teacher in downtown Fredericksburg. Uh, so then I just kind of came along 
you know, for these lessons, because that's what you do as a family. It's like, we're going to her thing, we're going to your thing, we're going to Hardy's. Uh, so like all these things. And she also played piano. So it's like, buddy, you want to do piano lessons? I was like, sure, I'll do piano lessons. And I was so bad, so bad. I'm so sorry, Andrea DePaul, for never practicing <laughs> uh, piano. So, and my sister is a brilliant woman. Uh, so she was always like good grades and everything. So we'd have her lesson and she'd be like, practice everything. It's like really great. And then be like, come on, buddy. And then it's like, <laughs> it's over with. <laughs> now it's my turn to like plunk through piano stuff. And then my sister was a clarinet player, as I was saying. So when she, you know, was in band first, so then it was sixth grade, it was my turn for band. And eventually I settled on trumpet. It was my third choice. Uh, cause my first was percussion because mm-hmm. I guess I was 12 and angsty and wanted to hit something. Uh, but too many people had already signed up for percussion. So like, can you pick something else? And I was like, trombone seems really cool. And then they were like, uh, you're really small and short and your arms aren't long enough. So can you pick something else brass related, maybe trumpet? It's like, okay. So I picked trumpet in there, but before that I was like, well, how do I do that? And then I remember my band director at the time, David Vita was just like, can you go like this? I went, and he was like, good enough. Good. So here, here's your, here's That's your all trumpet. it takes. <laughs> That's all it takes, apparently. You know, what is it? Uh, I, was, I was 12, and now I'm 29. So oof, 17 years later, it's you know, still, yep, still that. Same thing. Um, <laughs> so uh, I was playing trumpet, and I remember going to my last lesson, my last piano lesson, and I brought my trumpet. And I was like, I have a trumpet now. She's like, oh, that's great. And I was like, so I'm just going to do this now. <laughs> it's like no more, no more piano. Uh, so yeah, and then I think just I like to think that it was a fairly standard musical upbringing. Like my sister is in band and stuff, but no one else in my family was was musical. Uh, but they were just supportive. So like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, and I just did everything that was like part of the progression. So it was like in band and then it's like, well, you know, we are going to do these things. Like it's like called solo and ensemble. So you're going to do a solo or a chamber group. I'm like, oh, I don't know what that is. So I'll do it. And then uh, going on, it's like, well, this is jazz band. I'm like, oh, cool. What jazz? Is that what you said? Wow. Oh, this is cool. This is pretty hip. And then, you know, going into high school, they invite the eighth graders. Like, you know, we have this thing called marching band. And if you want to come see what it's about, maybe you can join in your freshman year. I was like, okay, great. And I just like hung out in the stands. People played fun music. A bunch of people played high notes in the trumpet section. And then they did their show, which was really cool. And then everyone got hot dogs. So I was like, this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Right. So I said, I did marching band. And so it was always just the next thing. Sure. It was about being introduced to the next thing. And then once you do that enough, then you start looking for it yourself because you're kind of used to like, if you're great. Uh, programs and, and really good teachers, they're going to throw new and new things at you. Be like, this is this is chamber music. This is a brass quintet. And like my high school band director, my second high school band director, Don Leonard, gave me a Dallas Brass CD my senior year. And that's when I learned about the group. And I was like, this is amazing. And it was Dallas Brass 2 from 1989. And I was like, this is amazing. I like I could listen to this all day. And I did. And then I remember like memorizing all the players and everything. And it's just crazy that like now I'm in that seriously. Group. Now, yeah. Now I'm in that group. What a cool so. full circle moment. Yeah. So that's kind of my um, upbringing in Fredericksburg, and uh, you know I had a lot of great teachers along the way. So I actually remember from your interview with Barbara Butler, that was like, even if they you don't think they're the person that like got you to win a job or like they you know got you to like this big career thing you are like they played a role 
and getting you to the next thing. So in the spirit of that, like my first teacher, Andrew DePaul, for piano, and then my first middle school band director, David Vita, and then I had Donna Steckler. And then uh, high school, I had Kathleen Schulwer, now Kathleen Jacoby. And then my senior, I had Don Leonard. Um, and then my first real teacher being Patrick Sweeten, who's a trombone player, but conducted the Navy band in DC. Uh, and he was the person that was really starting to see potential in me. So he's like, I'm a sophomore in high school. And he's just like, I want you to learn Carnival of Venice and then come back like, next week. And I, but and like, I just, you know, threw it. Sure, sure. And he knew that, but he didn't want to be like, mm, you shouldn't. And I think a lot of my teachers have been like that. They've been just like, it's like someone's like, oh, he's not capable. Just let him treat let him go hmm. because then I just, I just kept trying and I, it's not like I was aware. It's not like I was like, I was aware of what was, what the reality was. I was playing it and then I was listening to wins recording. I'm like, yeah, those aren't the same. Like I knew <laughs> that, like, I, but it's still like without being told no, no, no. Or like without anybody putting a lot of these limitations on from the beginning, um, I was able to, to dream really big and I was able to chase things uh, and then I would just chase things until I was too tired, like rather than, or like, you know, or if I didn't get there, but I never was like, oh, that's a really long journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just going to sit here instead. I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> so, uh, and my mom's like that too. Like she, I think that's where a lot of my entrepreneurial spirit came from. Not because like she was like super entrepreneurial, but all these ideas that I had, I was like, I have this idea to like form this big band of like all these kids from different high schools. She's like, okay. And like, she wasn't like, let me help you develop a business model for this. But she, she was just like, you'll find out, like, you'll find out. It's kind of just like, Ooh, was that a stove? I wonder what that feels like. It's like, go ahead, touch it, find out, <laughs> see, if, see if it is. And then, so I learned a lot of just by falling down, getting back up, falling down, getting back up. And then if I would ever complain, it's like, I fell. And it's like, what do you think would happen? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to get back up? Are you going to get back up? Well, yeah. Cause I'm not there yet. <laughs> and I would just keep going. So I'm going to pause you for a second. I love this perspective. It's a perspective that I think I've tried to take because, you know, all the content creation and stuff like that, I'm learning about new things like sound and lighting and how to put together a video, how to edit a video and to go back to being a beginner at something again after you had learned to do, let's say, the trumpet for me, something at a higher level. It's like hard to remember that that is really what the beginning of any process is sort of defined by. And so we, mm -hmm. I at least feel like I got used to and comfortable with the idea that that struggle wasn't happening as often. And so this has been, these other disciplines have been able to help remind me and try to encourage people in this way that basically like failing is part of the deal. And especially in the beginning, this is kind of how you learn how it works for you or how that, what you actually want to get out of something. So I think it's very cool. And it's obviously something that you're still carrying with you all this time later, this kind of idea of, well, of, co of course you fell down. Like, what did you expect was going to happen? I right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's, it's interesting. It's almost like a two-sided coin in this perspective of when you get older, maybe you don't dream as much. Um, cause like when you're a kid, like anything is possible. It's like space cowboy, here I come. But, uh, when you're, when you're older, you're used to failing, failing, I'm doing air quotes. Um, and it's okay because you've done it a lot, like, like basically like thick skin, tough skin. Um, so it doesn't like affect you as much, but I think at the same time, you just are like, 
you don't have you feel like you don't have time to fail mm. because like you have to do this. It's like, well, I'm not going to get myself into all that. Like, I don't have time. Like, I have to do this or this. I'm applying for this. And, you know, I got to do these errands and that stuff. So it's like, I don't have time to go through this failing process anymore. Um, but I don't know. I still, I just, I don't really see it as, as any other way. Yeah. And I think, um, sorry, yeah. I, I think like part of it too, though, is I think some people will see failure as evidence that they shouldn't do this. It's evidence right. that this is not for me because I, I'm not, you know, I mean, an extreme version would be, you know, like an eight-year-old who just doesn't want to like, tr like try, right? And they're just like, they draw something and it's not great. And they're just like, some kids are like, I'll try again. And some kids are like, I'm not going to ever do this. This is not for me. And so I think when we are judging the sort of validity of an activity on based whether we're successful or not, I don't think is the right, especially in the beginning, right? Is the right way to go about determining if this is a path you should take for your life. And maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit, but you being in the entrepreneurial spirit that you are, like what kind of parameters do you hold for something being a worthwhile endeavor if success and failure aren't necessarily the guiding, the guideposts for you? Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a super good question. I think that they're, it's multifaceted um, in the things that are important to the individual. So if I'm like super busy, busy, I'm also doing air quotes about, about that, um, but I have a lot on my schedule and like, I don't know, I just feel like overworked and overwhelmed with stuff, but the particular person is like, I'm doing this thing and I want you to be involved. I'm just like, that sounds great because it's that person. Um, so I know like when you were starting your podcast and everything, you know, all these people are like, Ryan's doing it. Like, I support Ryan. It doesn't matter what Ryan's doing. It's that it's Ryan. And I want to help that. So I think it's figuring out who's involved in this project. I do think about how much time I'm able to, to devote, but it's almost not so much time as like emotional energy. Mm. Like, how much can I care about this? And I, it makes me think about when starting the, our first festival, the Fredericksburg Brass Institute, I was 21, so I didn't have like as much in my life going on. So like I cared about it a lot, like, and I still care about it a lot, obviously, but like, it was like one of the only things I had to like really, really care about in addition to like my playing obviously and stuff like that. And, you know, some of my classes, but, um, <laughs> but I was able to put so much emotional energy into it. Therefore, the amount of time I put into it almost seemed irrelevant. Like, I don't know how many hours specifically at work, I can say it's a lot, but it was, but it's because I, I really had a lot of emotional attachment and emotional energy to devote to it. And it was with people that I really love and respect, great friends and stuff like that. Um, so I think those are just a couple of the facets yeah. when like getting into an entrepreneurial idea. Cause most people might think like, how likely will this happen? If it's like a, a dream idea, nothing seems likely that it will happen because it's because it's something new. Maybe it's challenging something that's already in place, some sort of other structure. Or maybe it's like, well, it's me and there's already all these other things. Like there's all these other podcasts out there. Like why is mine going to be special? And look at you now <laughs> like this, <laughs> right? Truth so, be told, if I'm telling the truth, I didn't, I didn't know about all the other music podcasts out there. So I thought I was doing oh, right. something that like that. didn't exist. You know what I mean? And then I remember mm -hmm. I, the very first 
music podcast I found is the Mind Over Finger podcast. I'm going to, her, her first name is Renee, and I think it's like Gautier. It's like a French name. I, I feel like I just mm-hmm. butchered it. I, I apologize if she happens to be listening to this. Um, anyway, I, I found that one and I was like, oh, there are more of these, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I think somewhere I found the Brass Junkies and they were on episode like 90 at the time. And I was like, whoa, hold on just a second here. Maybe I was wrong. Like, maybe I'm not <laughs> the only one who had this idea. But it did, you know, a lot of my platform, if we're going to view it through the lens that you described, uh, a lot of it was born, it's not this way anymore, but born out of frustration that I wanted to share the ideas I had more than I was being allowed to by Mm -hmm. being asked to do master classes or teaching lessons or whatever. So some of it was like born out of frustration and some of it was born out of, I just really enjoy talking to people and Mm -hmm. I feel that this could be a good platform to do it. So it's not dissimilar in some ways to what you're describing. Like the success and viability of it was less important to me than just doing something that gave me an outlet to fill these particular desires of mine, I suppose. For sure. You know, with with the entrepreneurial student being what it is now, there's a section in it because it's almost in like chapters and it's in chapters because I'm turning it into a book, spoiler. Um, but <laughs> the the chapter on define and redefine is about what is the definition of X, meaning like the orchestra or a chamber group or being a soloist or like whatever it is that you want to do, a music festival. What is like the definition that we feel we have for it now through your lens Um, and maybe through like the community's lens, music community. And then how do you redefine that? Like what elements do you redefine? What components of it are different? What components of it are highlighted more? Um, How do we like alter or like redefine like particular components, but have it still be or not be that original Mm. definition? And like, kind of like what you're saying, it's like, yeah, like there were podcasts out there. Maybe you didn't, you didn't know about it so much, but with what you were allowed to do being like, well, I'm a professional trumpet player. So like, I'm going to do recitals. I'm going to do some solos. I'm going to do master classes, but like I'm a musician and like an artist and a person. So like, what else can I do? And it's like, well, I have a lot of these thoughts and a lot of these ideas and not, it's not me being opinionated, but it's that I want to share them and I want to be able to communicate with people about them and then hear their side and like in their perspectives too. And now you've like redefined in a way what aspects of a career in music are. And that's like, it's always evolving in that way. So yeah, I totally agree. Obviously super cool stuff. Okay, I didn't mean to derail you. I think you were talking about... No, my coffee's, my coffee's kicked in, so we can go anywhere, right? <laughs> so who knows where we'll end up. I'm trying to remember where we were. You were talking about this, you have ideas and nothing was going to limit you. Maybe you were talking about um, trombone teacher asking asking you to play things like Carnival of Venice. I think that's where we left off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think just having teachers, and you know, good teachers see this. They don't see talent. They may, maybe they observe talent, but they see potential. They see curiosity. They see excitement. And then they just like feel that. Like without really the student knowing sometimes, they're just like, oh yeah, Dallas Brass is this, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. Have you heard about Canadian Brass? Have you heard about Bosch Brass? No, what is it? It's like, go look it up. And then like 19 hours later on my YouTube <laughs> dive, I'm like, I'm just obsessed and I'm all about it. And then it's just like, wow, like they played like the small horn. That's called a piccolo trumpet. You should look it up. And then you start going into that dive. And then 
It's like, well, this is like, but it, I looked up music for it and it says like in D, like, what is that? Like, oh yeah, you got to transpose, like you should practice transposition. And then you start, you know, going that way. Um, so having teachers that kind of just, you know, we talked earlier just about, you know, exposing you to new things in music, but at the same time, it's, you know, lighting that fire through curiosity. Like, it's always about being curious. Because, um, like, how does this person sound like that? Like, I want to sound like that. What do I do? I'm going to look up videos of them. Like, maybe they talk about it. And it's like, oh, there's a video of them talking about their warm-up. Maybe I can do it. And And it's not that it has to be one path, but it's it's the fact that you want to keep going on a path and you want to keep looking things as like you're there right you're you're on a hike but you're not just like left right left right <laughs> but you're like wow look at the trees it's like oh look at this oh what is that a deer um things like that yeah yeah i think it's a great perspective i just read in this book called with winning in mind uh it's by a guy named lanny bassam who uh olympic rifle shooter and he described the difference, what you're talking about, I think is a beautiful way to describe it, the difference between achievement and attainment. Achievement is the mm. result of the thing. So if you win an orchestra audition, you have achieved winning, but it's determined by the outcome and everybody else that's involved. Attainment is more or less who you become in the process. It's like what you gain along the way. And that he is arguing that attainment is can include achievement, but attainment is really where all of our focus should be because it's the thing we can control the most is what we put into it, what we hope to get out of it beyond just the actual outcome so that we can take that and move further in our life. And I just totally believe in this and I've tried to build systems that like allow us to do this, you know, and and it's I it's and you know, encouraging to hear other people speak this way and know that we're we're trying to share this idea that it's like Life is in the living, so to speak, as the movie Soul would say. Mm, yeah. And, and that actually makes me think of the book Atomic Habits mm -hmm. by James Clear, because it talks about, you know, goal-based habits, which is like, I want to do this thing. I want to win this or I want to be here. And it's like a very specific thing. And it's great to have goals like that. I'm, I'm big on goals. But the bigger thing is identity-based habits. So it, it becomes more about who do you wish to become? like the identity that you want to uh, have to then do all those things. Um, so, you know, me being a professional musician and a professional trumpet player, that's not because I've done like this thing. Maybe other people see it as like, oh, like you're in Dallas Press, you're, you do that. Or it's like you play at this level, so you're that. But it's more about how I view work in this and the quality that I want to have and the work and the relationships that I want to have in this field that have led to all those things. Um, and then some, and in the book, it talks about the situation where someone offers you a cigarette and you say, Oh no, um, I'm trying to quit. And then another, like another scenario, it's like, here's, you want a cigarette? And they go, no, I don't smoke. And then in those two scenarios, the same achievement, is there, which is you don't smoke a cigarette. But the other one is identifying as a smoker who had to decline and is fighting that versus I don't smoke. I'm not a smoker. And it's, and it's about adapting that identity. And the thing that helps with that identity is giving yourself proof. Because you can't just be like, I'm a principal trumpet player. And you just like try to like visualize like the entire time. But it's like, well, I, I'm practicing trumpet excerpts 
or like I had the opportunity to play principal here. Or then like you take lessons with principal trumpet players and then you like, well, yeah, that's what a principal trumpet. So you've given yourself proof and um, experience to ingrain more of that identity. Um, it's kind of like I started running a lot thanks to my my mother. Um, and before, and a lot of people are like this, they're like, oh no, I'm not a runner, I hate running. And I was like that too. I was just like, cause I would like run until I was tired. I'm like, how far is this? Like 1.2 miles, like, are you kidding? <laughs> um, <laughs> but like by running every day, and it's not that you run this achievement. It's not like I've done X amount of half marathons, X amount of marathons, X amount of ultras, whatever. But it's like, well, I run every day. I run every day. So then that makes me feel like a runner. Yeah, I'm a runner. If someone asks, like, oh, do you run? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a runner. And it's not because you've done this achievement necessarily, but it's that you've given yourself proof to feel that, to ingrain that identity. Man, we're all over the place. No, today. no, I'm, this is great. I'm this, a fan. <laughs> this is stuff that I'm, I'm dig. I, so, like, a practical example of my own practicing coming from this with winning in mind book is you would state these statements of affirmation in the present tense, right? And it's talking about the self image and how we see ourselves. This is exactly what you're talking about. How we see ourselves it will determine our relationship with the, the with the work, right? So mm -hmm. I've noticed that when I try to record something that I care about, let's, we were talking about this before the microphone, I want like these beach etudes that I'm recording, you know, I want to do a great, a great job and I want to be able to share something that I am happy with or proud of or whatever you want to say. And I notice that if I start to practice or I start to record this and I get about halfway through and I make a mistake or if I make a mistake at the beginning and I know that I can do better, I'll just stop and I'll try again, right? And it's interesting because after a period of time of doing this, I start to notice when I'm practicing that if I'm if I play like let's say I play literally perfectly for three quarters of a page, I, I without fail almost I would start to say, "Wow, this is going really well." Yep. And essentially, because my self image is I am not really like I don't see myself as somebody who could play a whole page perfectly. I self correct and I make mistakes toward the end of the thing because I get like nervous. I'm like apprehensive. Can I maintain this level of playing? For the most part. So what I've been experimenting with in my practice is saying a few things that'll get my mind on something very process-oriented, like the process of playing the trumpet. And then I basically start writing these statements of affirmation of, it is like me to relax as I approach the end of an etude. I just write that. And so then when I start to get to the end of an etude, I can actually hear myself now saying in my head, relax, just finish it out, right? It's like I, in five days, like literally five days, since I started doing it, I've I've even started to see how my brain is like reprogrammed just a little bit. Nice. And then it's funny because then this thing that sounds untrue about like you can have whatever life you want or, you know, like whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. You know, it sounds trite, but when you start to really dive in and and actually give it a chance, it's kind of funny how how powerful it can be and reframe reframing, which then will have a dramatic effect on what ends up happening in terms of action that you take in your life, at least what I've seen so far. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many thoughts on subjects like this, on like confidence and visualization and affirmations. And I'm, you know, certainly a supporter of uh, positive affirmations and visualization and, and things like that. But it's exactly as you said, like when you're like, wow, this is, this is going well, meaning 
you're surprised because totally. you don't identify as somebody that like does this well. And that's what's hard. And that's what's tiring is pretending, is pretending to be um, versus believing that you're that. And again, I think it takes proof and I think it takes experiences. And that's what your friends and your your teachers are there for, to remind you that you do have these experiences. Like, you sound great. Like, why is this like, oh, I'm just, I just, I'm so bad. And it's like, you're not bad. It's like, you might not be playing as well as you want to right now, but like, I've heard the proof that you've given that you're more than capable of this. Um, So that's, yeah, that's cool. That's happy. That's cool. Yeah, great. It's great. For you and your, let's just stick with your playing for right now because we can obviously expand it into your career and how you sort of see um, yourself as a person. But for right now, we'll stick to your playing. Um, what is success for you in a performance or what sort of how do you how do you talk to yourself in a way to get yourself to closer to that in the same vein of like how you see yourself, right? Uh, maybe we'll just start with like, what to you is d- what defines success? I'm assuming it's not perfection because that's just nobody would actually say that, even if we believe that nobody would actually say that out loud. So for you, what would you say like defines success in performance for you? It's it's such a, an interesting question because <clears throat> I think in context, I mean, like in the moment, it is like how well, well I'm playing. So like, am I missing notes? Did I have memory slips? Is my sound tight? Like, do I feel relaxed? Kind of things like that. And then after, always, it's, did people enjoy it? And with certain recitals and things like that, you might have like a very musical audience, meaning they are like artists in this craft or technicians in this craft. But then when like we do a Dallas Brass show, like I'm, you know, thinking about these things that I wish you know, have gone this way. And it's, it might be really easy to do that because it's the same show more or less all the time. So you have like the constant variable in which to kind of compare it to, or you have like other versions of sing, sing, sing that we do, or like, you know, how we do Minuet Kavad or like how we did the opening fanfare and things like that. So I think like in the moment, success is, I think, just playing with a beautiful and easy sound. Um, so like, it's just kind of happening naturally. I'm not overthinking and things like that. I've gotten better about like making mistakes. Like if I make a mistake, I'm not just like, well, I'm not the worst. I shouldn't like, you know, go go off the deep end with this. But I, I like it when I'm not working hard. And that and when I'm not working hard, I'm having fun. And when I'm having fun, I'm, you know, I'm not working hard. So it ends up being like this symbiotic relationship that that comes back. And then if I do feel things after performance, where I, maybe it's a memory slip, maybe it's a big cacked note or something like that, I'm always reminded that a successful performance and successful playing is, is that people enjoyed it, is that people had a good time at the concert, that people feel something new because of this performance and because of the playing, things like that. So running with the same train of thought of what you're describing of having proof my mm-hmm. assumption is that to help reinforce that in the audience, uh, how do you, do you guys, 
in the group talk to your audiences afterward to find out how they're feeling? Like, what is it? What is that for you to be able to sort of get some of that feedback? Because in the orchestra, that absolutely almost never happens, right? We just exactly, go home. Right. <laughs> so it's actually kind of frustrating because you really hope it made an impact, but you really have no idea. So I'm kind of curious if that's mm -hmm. something that defines success for you. Is there a way that you are able to sort of get some feedback on how that's going? Yeah, and it's you're exactly right with with like orchestra it's like you do the concert and then like everyone claps and then people conductor walks off stage and then they come back on stage and then they keep clapping and like this orchestra stands up again and then the house lights come on and then people just start leaping in their general directions either backstage you pack up their their horn uh or to their car um but yes with the dallas brass concert it is all about audience and community interaction and engagement so through the show um, but certainly after the show, we do our last number and then we have an encore, but an intermission. We're always like, do you have your Sharpie? Do you have your Sharpie? Do you have your Sharpie? Because we have to have it there because we do that. And then we go to the audience. We go like through the audience out into the lobby. So it's never about, I'll put away my horn first and then I'll come out there because like we want to greet the audience as they leave. Not like we're like asking them to stay and talk to us, but like we're there to send them off. And sometimes people are just like, enjoy the show. Thank you, Mike. Oh, thank you so much. Stay warm. Because we're usually like in Minnesota or something. <laughs> um, uh, but then like the kids who play the in the show with us, like they they come up and like their faces are elated. And I think the fact that we're there and the fact that we're there immediately um, shows that not only can we like sign something or like we can, you know, give a high five to or something like that, but that we are approachable people. And sometimes people are just like, enjoy the performance, you know, shake your hand and then and then leave. And other people just open up about something in like their life that this reminded them of. And it's kind of just like, you know, like my father, he had all these Benny Goodman albums. And like when you did Sing Sing Sing, like that's like all I can think of. And then you like, it's like a genuine connection. Because I'm not there just like, I enjoyed the show. Oh, thanks so much. Well, my G's sharp. Could you like, <laughs> tell, like, no, and like, we don't go there. We go for the impact that it made. And also that the relationship that now we have defined music can be. Where it's not just like, I paid money to sit in this seat. I donate to so-and-so, so-and-so. But it's that, no, you can talk to us about what this meant to you. And versus, you know, just showing my appreciation by the applause and that you paid a ticket. So, so that's one. And then to quickly, because I know I've been no, rambling go a lot, for it. No, is, <laughs> is uh, I love that. And I want to create that in the settings that might not be. So if I ever do like a recital, I try to meet the audience before my recital because I want them to like, for us to like know each other. It's more comfortable for me. It's more fun. And then also it allows the opportunity to like communicate and talk after because it might be like well i just showed appreciation by by coming here and i enjoyed the performance but i don't want to bother him or something like that but it's like well no if he'd like talk to me before the show like i now have this relationship with him i can go and talk to him after and same thing with clinics you know i might get like introduced or something like that but i want to meet and talk to the the students at like the high school the university whatever it is beforehand and you know get to know them a little bit and that way have this reaction to open up conversation much easier and 
a lot of the time, if we see someone that's like our hero in music, maybe it's like at Midwest or like some sort of conference. And it's just like, well, I can't just go over there and just like be like this ultimate fan nerd. Yeah. And just be like, oh, I love your CD <laughs> and or, or something. Because we're like, that's weird. But if for some reason, like we had a conversation before, we're like in line at Starbucks or something. And it's like, you know, you just introduce yourself a little bit. And then it's like, oh, cool. Well, now I can go and say things like that much easier. Um, yeah. I uh, gosh, 2008, I think. Think it could have been 2000 and I don't remember which year. There's an ITG conference I went to. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly which one. And I got to the airport and I was sitting there with my bags, lo- waiting for my bag. And I saw a, I was so new to all of this. I had to have been mm-hmm. like a freshman or a, or a sophomore. And so I was sitting there and I saw somebody else with a Marcus Bona case. So mm-hmm. I assumed that they were a trumpet player, but I think they actually saw me and my Marcus Bona case first. And so he came up to me and he, he said, well, are you going to this? Are you going to this thing? And I, I, I had to get on some sort of shuttle, right. To, to get where we were going. And are you going to the conference? And I said, yeah, he's like, my name is Bob. And it was Bob Dorer, the second trumpet of the Minnesota yeah. symphony, Minnesota orchestra nice. rather. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And he's like, do you just want to ride to this place? I said, sure. So he and I, I think it was like an hour drive or something wherever we were going. And then there was a clinic that I think Manny Loriano was doing. And at that particular time, I mean, he's an amazing player, but I played Monette at that time. So he was like big hero. And Bob introduced me to Manny and I shook his hand. And then Manny, it was just great to meet you. And then, oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks. And then I looked, I was like, I'm never gonna wash this hand ever again like i was <laughs> right. like that i was exactly what you're describing where i would never go talk to him but the fact that he even talked to me was such a big deal at that time you know and mm-hmm. that's easy to forget sometimes when you get a little bit into it and you you, you know yourself you know ah, i feel i'm approachable or whatever but it's hard to see it from somebody else's perspective so i dig that you're just taking yeah. it to them and saying i'm just gonna bridge this gap for you so right. that we don't have this awkward moment and and I can hear from you and I can, and the other thing I think, sorry to ramble too, but the other thing I really like about what you're talking about is you're willing to go there for them, right? It's not just this yeah. situation where the audience shows up and they are like, thank you so much for existing and playing this classical music, but rather you're willing to to meet them where they're at and to say, thank you for being here. Because if we didn't have an audience, we wouldn't have a concert. And I think yeah. just this mutual respect is something, um, at least in the minimal amount of time I've spent in this world of, or- of, of orchestral playing, especially, you just don't see it as much. You sort of see everyone's got their thing and they're like, I got to go do my thing and I got to get warmed up and I got to make sure everything is perfect so I can play this concert. And we sort of miss these opportunities uh, that we, For I sure. think that that we could connect with our audience and and actually like remember what it's about. I suppose. Oh yeah, and I have like two and a half anecdotes related to that, um, and like the other things that we were talking about. One of the many things I love about being in Dallas Brass is like it's great if, when we go to San Francisco. It's great if we're flying to L.A. You know these big cities and everything, but a lot of the shows we do are like at schools. Um, and we played in everything from like the nicest aud- auditorium. I'm doing air quotes because it's just like, I would never have thought that this was like a high school auditorium to gymnasiums in South Dakota. And 
a lot of the time, since these are school shows, bringing in the Dallas Brass and paying for that and putting on these concerts is a big deal and a big event. So they are doing yearly fundraising. They are doing band boosters going crazy. They are, you know, doing some sort of bake sale or something for us to be there. And I remember we played in Badger, Minnesota. It's one of my favorite places we've ever played is Badger, Minnesota. And like the town's population, I think was like 400 something. And we had like 600 people in the audience. And we need a stage, like a stage stage to move around and all this stuff. We have horns everywhere and we have, so we need space. And we played in this middle school, I believe it was a middle school's gymnasium. So we obviously we played basketball in there before the show. Like, <laughs> we had a set of chairs, <laughs> but um, but they bought a like build like and built a stage for us to do that. And because like they didn't they don't need to spend money to have a stage normally, but we we needed a stage. So like they they paid to have this stage propped up. And when that is the relationship that from their end. Oh man, it's like it's so meaningful to be, you know, reciprocating that in such a way. So absolutely, like yeah. opening up the dialogue, making it easier to to have that relationship go first. And I'm trying to remember the book, um, but a very good friend, and I believe a friend of yours, Will Baker. Mm. Um, and he told me about this book of like successful people, successful artists and stuff. And one of the mottos was go first, meaning send that thank you email introduce yourself for like because it, it people want it to happen but they are kind of like waiting for that moment where it's not super awkward but it never really is awkward after it's like oh that was easy i just said hello um and like two other random stories like when the very first brass thing i think i did at like a higher level was attending the raphael Mendes brass institute and the same thing everyone's flying in gotta take a shuttle and then i saw like this older guy i'd probably like waiting for his bag and stuff too. And then like we got in the shuttle and like, I never like have flown anywhere really before. And I'm just like in like the Denver airport and I'm just like, not sure like what to do. And I look lost and I'm like 19 and or whatever. <laughs> and this guy's like, are you going to the Rafa Mendez thing? Like, Oh, I am. He's like, I'm going there too. Like I'll help you. I was like, Oh, thank you so much. Cause I'm like clueless. And spoiler, nine, 10 years later, I'm still clueless. Um, no, uh, but we just get in this van and then I'm just like, thanks so much for helping us. Oh yeah, for sure. And I was like, I'm buddy. I was, oh, I'm Randy. I was like, Oh, that's oh cool. Uh, why names? <laughs> but and then we started talking we're like, so what do you play? He's like, Oh, I play bass trombone. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. I'm a trumpet player. And I was like, so where do you live? And he's like, well, I've moved around quite a bit, uh, but right now I'm living in Detroit. I was like, Oh, that's cool. I was born in Michigan. Oh, cool. Blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I was just like, do you know much about this festival? I've never been. And he's like, yeah, it's really great. Like really great people, just like total casual conversation. And then I was just like, somehow it came up like what I wanted to do professionally. He's like, that's really cool. I was like, well, I get to play with an orchestra. And I was like, you do? What? He was like, well, I'm, I'm the bass trombonist in the Detroit Symphony. And it was Randy Hawes. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I'm just like, what? He would like, be that like chill. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He yeah. would be just like, oh yeah. He's so, such a gen, like a, a gentle person. Oh yeah. And I was just like totally floored. I think I said less after I knew that than I did before <laughs> knowing that. Yeah. And then the other one being, and I guess this is why I feel more comfortable with it is I was at Banff in the summer of 2012. And this was after I was going to transfer schools. Um, I was going to start my first year at the university of Miami. 
And then we're sitting down at like this bar restaurant thing and there's music playing and stuff. And the Sam Palafians comes and sits down next to me. He's like, hey, I'm Sam. And I'm like, I know that. <laughs> like, <laughs> so and then he was like, so what's, what's your name? What do you do? And I was like, I'm Buddy. I play the trumpet. Um, he's like, cool. Where do you live? Where do you go to school? And I was like, well, I was, you know, I live in Virginia, but I'm actually about to start at the University of Miami. And this is like the summer before his first year at Miami. He was like, oh, no way. I'm about to go to University of Miami. And I'm like, I know, like, because you're Sam <laughs> and I'm, you know, this guy from Virginia. Um, but he was just, poof, did that. Yeah. Just immediately just like introduced himself, sat down, so casual, um, and just talked to people. It's, it's a music community. It's a community, even if you're not the one playing, like everyone who is attending concerts, everyone that's supporting it, everyone that, you know, shares about it, that likes it as part of that community. And I think we forget that because they're not the ones you know, shedding excerpts and stuff. When I first started the podcast, originally I was interested in interviewing people from our orchestra. And it sort of, as it is now, took on a life of its own. And it sort of became this thing that I was doing on my own. But yeah, there's actually, in the first year of people, of, of interviewing people, there are very few people that I knew personally i knew like a, a, a bunch but there's a lot of people that i just went to a website and found people who had won jobs and then just was like hey do you want to be on my podcast and you know it's interesting because i had this image in my head that people were going to be like no <laughs> definitely not right. yeah but every single person was like Absolutely. That sounds cool. I'd be happy to talk yeah. about that kind of thing. And it really, it's not that it showed me a different side of the music community that didn't exist because obviously it does exist. It's just, I had this kind of feeling of, well, who am I to ask these questions, you know? And it sort of did, in many ways, it's something that would, it, it affected my self-image in a really interesting way because I became known as a podcaster, Mm. In some some way, right? Instead of mm. I'm principal trumpet of the Alabama Symphony, which is how everybody knew me previous to that, I became a podcaster. And some people maybe knew me from the podcast first. And when I went to Northwestern for an alumni event a few years ago, one of the students at Northwestern was like, oh, hey, Ryan, like, it's really nice. He's like a senior at Northwestern. He's like, it's nice to meet you. I love your podcast. And I was like, you have no idea what it means to me that you talked about my podcast before you talked about my trumpet playing. Right. It's so cool because you just realize again this idea that it's not that I it's not that I did this thing and I was this new person. It's just that this is again an ex like you were saying an expansion of who I was. I'm just finding a new way to ex to sort of explore what that is, and that we are all so much more than this individual thing that we do, but we get so obsessive about it for somewhat good reason. I would say yeah. that it's hard to well, look beyond that, but it, it was it's sure. cool and. I imagine you feel you feel similarly. I'm going to turn it back on you to talk about some of these other things that you do to see how it possibly has expanded, not just expanded your your view of yourself, but how it is a reflection of who you are or how you were able to fit into this kind of idea and 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 just like what it provides for you. So let's go into the I got to read it again. <laughs> <laughs> Co-founder, CEO, artistic director of the Brass Institutes of Virginia. Like tell me about that, tell me what it is, tell me in this context yeah. of just like how this kind of thing happens and how Buddy as a CEO is different or runs differently than Buddy as a trumpet player. Well, for my close friends that might be listening to this, me as a CEO is 
no different <laughs> than how I am as as anybody else. Sure. But, so we started with the Fredericksburg Brass Institute um, in 2013. Is like I guess the first successful year of it, and it's a summer chamber music festival, brass brass chamber music in my hometown of Fredericksburg, Virginia, and hometown of all the other original people, which was Austin Boyer and Kenneth Johnson. Those were our three faculty. And we had two directors and I start, I was running it with my friend Austin Boyer because we had this friend group and it was two trumpets, two trombones throughout high school, me, Austin, Kenneth on trombone and Amy Loudon on trombone. And we were all at different high schools in the Fredericksburg Stafford area. And once we became friends, what we started doing was uh, just coming over, hanging out, sharing music, sharing musical ideas. And then we all went off to major in music. And then we'd come back for Thanksgiving and be like, guess what I learned? Because everything was new. We were freshmen in college because <laughs> it wasn't our high school. <laughs> um, so we would just come back like, I learned about this. My teacher taught me this. Look what I can do now. <laughs> right. And like all these like different <laughs> dumb things. And then we did that at Christmas and then we did that at spring break. And then that's what we wanted to do for Fredericksburg is we wanted to show, especially young brass players, what was outside of here like the possibilities, the players, the concepts, the pedagogy, all these things. So we actually started the very first Fredericksburg Brass uh, in 2009, I guess, or 2010, which was after our freshman year of college. We tried to start this summer music festival with one year of academia <laughs> under our belt. And we had this like model planned out. And I was working at Bush Gardens, Williamsburg at the time, like playing and we would come back on the weekends and we would do it like as like a day every Saturday or something like that. And, uh, or maybe just like some day of the week, probably Tuesday or something. Cause I was probably playing at the park on the weekends, but we were doing that. And then like people would sign up per day and we would just like read music and like do master classes Cause we just learned what those were and things like that. So that, failed <laughs> like it might be like a surprise to you but like 18 year olds like running a music festival was, <laughs> was not working out super well and it wasn't that it was a terrible idea that's the thing i think when people like quote failed they're just like well this was a terrible idea and it's like it's not a terrible idea it's the way in which it was executed got this result um so we were just like we're looking back, we're like, well, it shouldn't be like one day a week, multiple weeks with like a rotating and rolling admission. It's like make it a make it a set period of time. And then we should have like the same sort of schedule throughout the day. Not like who do we have? We have like a French horn, two trumpets, and a tuba. Okay, so today we're gonna do <laughs> and then so we we added more structure to it. Um, so then in 2013, I was at the University of Miami. And my roommate at the time, it's a super long story, sorry. Um, my roommate at the time, Achilles Navarro, he's a jazz trumpet player in New York now. And he was talking about how he wants to have projects. His teacher, Brian Lynch, who just is like part of this, part of this. And that's what musicians are, right? They're like, they have this, they have this, they're part of this, they play here, they have a podcast. Um, so having these different projects. And I was like, I used to have a project. I used to have like, I used to do like this. I tried doing this music festival. And then I was like, well, I'm better I know more people now. I'm arguably more intelligent. I think I want to try again and see. So I called Austin. I was like, I want to try this again. Like, are you down? And he's like, yep. 
So then we just started like testing the waters. We like, well, we should get like guest artists. And so who should we get? So we talked to the people that we knew and we had these relationships with. And we were just like, so we were thinking about doing this. Like if we did it, would you be a guest artist? Thinking that, again, like what you said, like thinking they'll be like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that would never work. They're just like, of course. And we're like, really? Like, yeah. So it's the power of asking, <laughs> really. So then we're like, well, if we did this, then Phil Snedeker has agreed. Andrew Hitz has agreed. Larry Williams has agreed. Like, so we like had these people lined up. Then we called some band directors and we're like, so we're thinking about doing this thing. Uh, do you have any students that might do it? They're like, oh yeah, I have like this, this trumpet player who's like super gung-ho. I'm like, oh, that's one. Yeah. <laughs> so then thinking like this could work and then we put it together. And then that first year, uh, I remember that moment. We we're just like doing this festival and we learned all these things. Like we like made a website and we were like, at this high school so we we're like trying to make be things organized we made like a schedule for the week we made a budget for all this stuff and then i remember the very first thing like people signed like forms and all this stuff and then these parents just like dropped their kids off and that's like they just left them here <laughs> for uh, for us like we're 21 years old like and now we just have these kids that are just like so what are we doing <laughs> and we're like our our dream idea. <laughs> um, so, but it ended up obviously being like a ton of work, but just super fun and rewarding. And then every year since then, we just kept growing. So the first year we had like three faculty and like four different guest artists. The next year we had seven faculty. Um, and then I think like four guest artists, but an additional day. And then the next year we started getting artists from like out of the area. Um, and everything we had, our enrollment like tripled and all this stuff. So then we're like, whoa, like this is now picking up steam. And then in 2018, the other, the new director, Dakota Corbliss, who's still one of the directors, is from Virginia Beach area. And he's like, I want to have one of these in my hometown. And I'm like, he's like, so then we had the Tidewater Brass Institute. Mm. And then we were like, well, we have this LLC called the Frederick Brass Institute. So I guess we'll talk to like um, our agencies about starting another LLC. And they're like, why would you do that? It's stupid. Just like make one else LLC and put it together. So like, I don't know, the Brass Institutes of Virginia, boom, done. And we're like, oh. so then it became Beva. Um, and now it's actually being shut down, sadly, but it's turning because it's rising from the ashes like a phoenix as the nonprofit organization of Brass Institutes of America, mm. which um, because everyone is like everywhere, but the whole idea and the mission is providing world-class education and performances to communities and young musicians, which needs to happen everywhere. Um, we started it in our hometowns, but who knows where it'll go next. Satellite campuses and stuff. But yeah, that's sort of the long-winded story of my No, I didn't know that story. Woes. I mean, it actually- We call that Fred Brass Zero. We have like Fred Breast 13, Fred Breast 14, Fred Breast 15, and so on. But then we have Fred Breast Zero, which is when it just didn't happen when we were 18. Uh, it's I didn't know that story, and it actually kind of helps me understand the different names of the different things, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I would ask at 19 years old, how are 18 years old, like how you thought you could do that, but you kind of already answered it earlier in the interview that you just didn't right. think you couldn't do something. <laughs> right. It's just an yeah. interesting, it's an interesting 
part of the hurdle I've had to get over in my own version of this, and I don't know if this will come as a surprise to people, but it's my own self-image of that I'm a trumpet player. That's how people know me. So when I decide I want to become a practice coach because I believe in the value of this and I believe that uh, I care about this very deeply and I want to share it, you're st- I'm still sort of seeing myself as a trumpet player who is now a practice coach, you know, instead of a practice <clears throat> coach. And so what is your umbrella image, so to speak, that allows you to sort of just go after whatever the thing is without sort of having these, because uh, it doesn't seem like you're having much issue with conflicting image identities, so to speak, right? Like, it doesn't seem like, well, I'm a trumpet player, so I can't start this festival, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like that is happening. And if it is happening, maybe you can speak to that. But what's this umbrella image that allows everything to fall underneath it and just sort of work? Well, yeah, man, such a great question, Brian. <laughs> um, I think part of it is that I do feel more comfortable calling myself like a trumpet artist and a musical ambassador. Because then that definitely helps, like, widen the scope because then people will try to pigeonhole you to understand you like well i'm a trumpet player okay like what like classical jazz and it's like uh i like both but like i guess more classical like oh, okay so like solo or like orchestral but uh i, I don't know i guess well, I, I play with a lot of orchestras i so that's my kind of my job so i guess orchestral and it's like oh cool like principal or like like what and like they'll keep narrowing it down but the fact that I like to think of myself more as a trumpet artist and a musical ambassador because it's trumpet is what I am most experienced at, but creating a positive musical atmosphere and experience for people is always, you know, the end goal. So whenever I I love doing residencies at high schools and stuff like that. Like when I first started being like a touring artist, because once I started like doing that thing, there's no like job application for what I was doing. I was like endorsed by these companies that I was forming these relationships with. And like I was reaching out to, I was introducing myself. And then I was just traveling and just being like the person who like would wear this, you know, fancy jacket. And then just like in jeans, like the cool substitute teacher would come into these programs and just like, you know, be like the fun uncle that came to town. And it's just like, this person's here and I have all this energy. And I'm like, who wants ice cream for dinner? And all these things to be a positive musical model for people, for especially for um, young people. God, it makes me sound so old <laughs> saying young people. Um, the youths. Um, so when I would do these residencies, rather than like a masterclass, that meant I was there all the time and I was there multiple days. So students got to know me better and I got to know them better. And I got to know their program better and I got to know the community better. Versus like some trumpet guy came to my school today and like played some stuff. Like, oh, who was it? Like, I don't know, Billy Deckler. I don't know. So, That's I, don't, it. I can't remember. <laughs> um, but being like, again, like me going first, you know, opening the door, breaking that fourth wall immediately. Um, so my goal is not to be like, everyone here should major in music. Like Everyone should have a professional career as a musician. But it was more like everyone here should know and feel that music was a good thing in their life. You know, I think people quit middle school band. They don't go into high school band because they had a terrible time in middle school band. And it's not blaming the middle school band directors by any means, but it's just something about that experience for them was like, why would I continue this? And then maybe same thing 
in high school being like, well, I was never, you know, first chair. I was never that. And if that was like a highly stressed thing, it's like, well, then I won't be successful. And it's like, you're like in Texas, like you're like last chair in your band in Texas, but that could be like your first chair in like 80,000 other bands that, that sure, exist. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so by defining myself, coming back to your question about defining myself, trumpet artist, so artist meaning a creator in this case, and like more of like a fluid term of like what I can create, what I can participate in, what I can impact um, through what I do as a trumpet player. Like I'm not doing solos where it's like, and today I'll play bassoon, who knows? Uh, but I like, I'd always be trumpet. Like obviously that's my language, I know the best. But then being a musical ambassador, being somebody that can connect people to music. And I always tell students and stuff that I meet and if they want to like keep progressing, I was like, well, I can't do this, but like, I know people who can help you do that through my relationship. Um, so I guess I've like defined myself in like, as like a clinician and like a lecturer when I do like entrepreneurial student stuff. And then like this, um, entrepreneurial student, this musician, um, because like I create things and run the festivals and, and stuff like that. But like at the end of the day, it's Buddy Deschler. And I like that. And yeah, if we have trouble identifying as all these different things, then it's like, am I that? Do I have that identity? Do I really feel that? But it's kind of good when like people know you through all these different lenses. Like, oh yeah, you're the person who like runs the festivals. And it's like, oh, you're the person who's in Dallas Brass. Like, oh, you're the person with the, the lecture. Or it's like, oh, you're the person who's in line at Starbucks with me. Uh, like people will know you from different elements. And as long as it always comes back to you, then I see that as as a win. So. Yeah, I would argue it's a really cool perspective. And, and so I'd love you to speak to something that I know a lot of people can struggle with. I've certainly struggled with it, uh, which would be imposter syndrome when you're starting to do <laughs> yeah, all these different coming, things, yeah. right? You do all these different things and then you see how much everybody else knows in these. I mean, for me, something again, like content creation, it's like, I feel like I'm doing okay. I see what exists out there and it's, you know, I think about show TV shows, like how do they know how to do this stuff? How do they know how to yeah. make something look like that with lights and it's, they're not outside or, you know, it's anyway, the point I'm making is that it can be easy to feel because you know that better exists, that you are not capable. And how do we step into feeling confident in what we know as we'll just do the best job we can and feel that that is good enough or have, have faith or whatever that that's okay for now and we'll continue to learn and we don't actually have to know everything right out of the gate because i would say imposter syndrome is also a bit of a problem with comparison too right you're comparing yourself oh, yeah. and you feel like an imposter compared to somebody else and if it was in a vacuum and you were just doing it i think it would be harder to feel imposter syndrome so i'm just curious for your thoughts on that oh absolutely well i would i would first say that imposter syndrome and like that feeling probably kicks in like once every four months or something for me. How long it lasts, I don't know. Like, you know, it's not maybe an extended stay, but it does creep in. And as far as all the other months that are like more sunshine and rainbows uh, in comparison, I think it's, yeah, it's so it's so good. And everyone, everyone struggles with it in their own way. Um, it definitely is easier when you are creating your own path. Because if you are on the same path around people going the same path, then it's really easy 
to be on the exact same run as somebody else and realizing that you're at the back or that you are in the middle, but you're exhausted and that there's all these people here and they have better running gear or like they're faster or they've been doing this longer and you're struggling to keep up and you're, you're hanging in there, but you're like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. So it does become a lot easier and I don't think it's necessarily avoiding it, but it does get a lot easier when you are being okay with the idea that your path is different or that you do different things. Like you doing this podcast at such a high level, like I don't, it doesn't make you less of a trumpet player. Um, it takes up more time now, you know, and things like that, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're now a worse trumpet player. But if you were like always taking auditions and like always getting the finals and not winning a job or something like that, it might be really easy to be like, well, I'm not this. And then someone's like, you don't have this title, this position of with this orchestra or with this chamber group or at this university or something like that. But, and then someone's like, I would love for you to solo with my band. It's like, how do you know who I am? Like, I'm nobody because you view yourself as nobody. Um, so by creating your own opportunities and creating your own path, like you're not, around as much comparison because like and you feel good about like your individuality and then when you're focused on the impact and the quality of the impact then i think like you are like yeah i can be a clinician like i'm a clinician so whenever i go and be like can you like talk to the students they would love to hear from me? like yeah like i talk to a room full of people all the time because of like building that proof yeah. building of, of that identity um now, I guess to everyone that's listening that is going after like this set benchmark achievement, like there is like a standard that we are fitting into more of like kind of a box and a quality to like win an audition, be at this level, maybe playing as well as this person because they are your friend and they want a job or something and like you didn't have a job. I think it's I think it's just about caring about the quality of your work and identifying the things that make you, you. So it could be like, yeah, like try to win this job, try to win this audition. But if you love like transcribing solos, like do that. Cause that makes you, you. And it, I think it keeps you in the game longer um, as well as changes like your like mental heaviness of, of this. Cause it, again, it's not about, necessarily work because when i was like i was saying before with starting the festivals like when you have so much emotional energy to give you don't know how much you're working but like if i work for three hours a day practicing on something and i'm miserable for two and a half hours that three hours feels like three days but if i'm like loving it and i'm just like loving what i'm doing and who i am and who i can be for other people um with the impact that i can make then three hours, it's like, make it five, make it five, and I'll take a break. And then like, I'll do this other thing that I'm interested in. So like the attitude part is, is there. So like, I think that there are things that in my life, in my career that I do take pride in, and I'm proud of myself for getting here and working hard enough to, to do that. But like, I'll be the first person to tell you, I'll be the first, second and third person to tell you, like of these other players that play better than me of these other people that I think can teach better than I can. But, you know, 
there's still just me. There's still one me uh, in that case. And I think being okay with that is is really important. And because then you will put in the work, you will put in the time and you will rise to the occasion. So maybe it's about, you know, being given the carrot versus always chasing the carrot in that way. So creating the carrot and then getting to it, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I mean, it was a very full answer. I, I And I appreciate it because it, I do agree that it's, it's so much about perspective and it's so much about what our expectation is. It's so much about why we are trying to accomplish a particular task. Um, you know, like what you said about being willing to say that there are other people that can do something better than you're, than you. Like I've certainly struggled with this concept that like my whole goal, like at Northwestern, my goal could be, I need to figure out how to do everything better than everybody else. That would be the thing that would be driving me. Right. Or, mm -hmm. you know, when yeah. I, when I start podcasting, it's like, I got to make the best podcast instead of like the podcast that is the best that I can do. Because best is is a very subjective term, but be, the best that I can do in my mind is quite an objective thing, actually. Like the best I can do is like there is a line and I'm not sure exactly where that line is. And so trying to find wherever that line is of the very best I can do is sort of an objective metric. And maybe each day the line is in a different place, right? But uh, the idea of the best overall is like saying, who's the best baseball player? Who's the best basketball player? Who, it's like there's so many different variables coming into who is the <laughs> best or or whatever. So I appreciate your perspective. Um, you mentioned teaching in there. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was kind of curious to move to have you share about the entrepreneurial student and just mm -hmm. like what that looks like, what the program is, where did it come from? Uh, just those kinds of ideas. Yeah. So the entrepreneurial student or... T-E-S uh, in a shortened way, and for people that struggle with the word entrepreneurial and pronouncing that, uh, was a lecture that I designed originally in 2015. And part of it was a way in which for me to teach and provide something that I was interested in and I was passionate about that people would allow me to do. So for me to be, I was, in 2015, you know, I had taken like two extra years with my undergrad and an artist diploma. But so I was, I guess, 24. And in the first year, of my master's, and I was reaching out to universities to be a clinician. And for me to be like, hello, Dr. So-and-so, my name is Buddy Deschler. I would like to be a clinician. And they're like, what? Who are you? Like, who are you? <laughs> like, no, it's like, well, I would love to come do a trumpet thing. Like, we already have someone to do that. And they're professional and they have a doctorate and they're not 24 years old. <laughs> So I was just like, thank you. See you next time. Um, but I was like, I want to talk about music entrepreneurship. And they're like, good. We don't know what that is. So it'd be great to have someone come in and, and talk about that. And I didn't know what that was. And I didn't know that I was doing it earlier because my entire college life, early college life, and even before that, like when I was in high school, it was about just making projects with my friends. So like forming this big band with different kids and then you know, starting a music festival and things like that. But it was just so I could continue being a musician. And some of it was things I was supposed to do. So I remember like my freshman year of college, I had business cards and everyone's like, nerd. <laughs> but I was like, I thought that's what you, like, you do. But a lot of people I think were just like, no, professionals do that. Like that's not you mm -hmm. uh, or something like that. But again, no limitations, just like going out there. I was like, well, I want to teach lessons. So I'm going to like email people 
And like, you know, I'm really glad people gave me the opportunity because I'll look at emails I wrote when I was 18. I was so bad. But <laughs> um, so it was me just always thinking about creating, creating opportunities, creating uh, places to perform, new ways in which to do things to make it exciting. And then starting like the summer brass festival, and like that was obviously like a, a fairly big thing. But what I didn't know is other people weren't necessarily doing that. So I think a lot of the time, our general introduction is just like, do you know Ryan Beach? Like, oh yeah, I know Ryan's like, great player, great guy. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And like, that's enough. <laughs> and then it's like, do you know Buddy Dash? It's like, oh yeah, great guy, great player, very entrepreneurial. And I was like, I am? But entrepreneurs have money. So like, I don't think that that's like me. <laughs> but it was it was because of the attitude. It was It was the attitude. It was the mindset about this. So first starting the lecture, I was like, well, I, these are the things that I do and that I did. So I was kind of just like presenting on like who I was and what I do, which is a very trumpet player thing to do, <laughs> talk about yourself. Um, but then it was in 20, I believe 2018 or so, maybe 2019, where I started to really rebrand it into something far bigger, where it wasn't about what I was doing. It wasn't even about what a person was doing what like an entrepreneur was doing but it was about what traits and characteristics this entrepreneurial mindset and spirit is so then i just started like thinking about yes the things that i believe but like that other people believe that i believe other people should and then it was about <clears throat> developing a trait developing a characteristic so communicating marketing creating thinking doing uh practicing and you know all these all these different traits and then I would just expand upon them I would expand upon them so then I was reaching out to schools about and yeah I have like this proof I guess which is of like starting these summer music festivals and being endorsed by these companies before I had like a job as like a trumpet player um but it's kind of just like well you don't sound bad but you don't sound like these other people like how are you endorsed by like four companies you know it's just like entrepreneurial I, I i asked <laughs> i asked right and then you know but it was about my my eagerness and my ambition to be out there and to be teaching and to be playing and to be you know an ambassador to impact people and they're like well if this person does all that and they are playing our so-and-so our horns our mouthpieces like then yeah, the playing part is super important, but more of like that energy, that attitude, that spirit, that's what's associated with our brand now. It's like that kind of musician and more so as like an educator, I think. Um, so the lecture being like, here are these different traits and everything like that. And then starting my degree at Arizona State University, I was at the half trumpet TA and a half music entrepreneurship TA. Um, which had never been a thing, but also like they didn't have a person that really wanted to do that. So it was like, you know, it's very meta because it's like I, this entrepreneurial way of creating a music entrepreneurship TA. Like, so, um, so, but my uh, mentor in all that is Deanna Swoboda, who is a tuba player, but, and she played in Dallas Brass too, but she's done all these other things, but all of her career is the same way, just being super entrepreneurial. So she runs the music entrepreneurship program and she would be like, I want you to present in class. 
And I'm like, well, I have like one presentation. It's called the entrepreneurial student. There it is. <laughs> and it's like, well, like, can you like talk about this, this chat? So then I would like pick a thing and then expand upon it. And then I was like, well, this is cool. Now I have like all these different segments of it. And then she was just like, you should, uh, you should do 15. And I was like, that's a very specific number. And she was like, well, it's because there's 15 weeks in a semester. So that way this could be a course. This could be a music entrepreneurship course. And then I was like, that's amazing. That's so cool. Because all these activities, sorry, all these chapters have an activity that's associated with it. So like a, a thing that you do, you fill out, um, that you create associated with that trait. And then I was like, this is so cool. I'd be like teaching my own course. And she goes, right, with your own book. And I was like, huh. <laughs> and so then it was about like writing the entrepreneurial student book and having that be like a textbook on these different traits and chapters with these activities that could be used for my course, but also music entrepreneurship programs at yeah. schools. Maybe maybe schools that don't have one. And like they want to start one. It's like, well, I don't know what we would do. It's like, use the book. Mm. Use my book <laughs> in, in that case. Um, so now it's just become much more of a brand than it is a lecture, just a lecture. But the whole idea upon the entrepreneurial student is empowering people to have and build careers while they're in school. Rather than be like, I got my degree, time to start making it. And then it's like, well, what do I do? I got to like play and like win a job and do that. But then what you do after school is just a continuation of what you were doing. Now you have more time. But like while you're in school, that's when you have so many resources. That's when you have a lot more colleagues at your disposal. That's when you have uh, maybe like grants and things like through the school. That's when you can fail a lot safer. That's when you can establish your work ethic. So then you don't have to create that when you leave, when you graduate, you continue it. And then you, you build upon what's already there. It's starting it that's the hardest. And then we start it at the most rough transition of our lives going from school to real quote, real world and that's when we try to start everything do you see this as the thing that would be like all freshman type thing or you could take it at any point in time like do you assume that the sooner the any better point? like i think i think the sooner the sooner the better sure um deanna had me put together a presentation for the freshman music major class which was really cool because yeah, it was like similar concepts, but it's like, how do I tailor this to people that might already have like a definition or actually no definition at all on what music school is. They just like go and be like, okay, I'm going to take lessons. I'm going to do recitals. I'm going to like take piano. I'm going to, but it's kind of like, what if you created things your own? And it's like, huh? <laughs> I thought this was yeah. like etudes and excerpts. Like, and I was going to start at the bottom. And then it's like, what if you, what if you could create something and be someone special and important? now and not because of necessarily like a thing that you're doing at a certain level but the thing that you're doing is your own so that was a really cool experience and opportunity um but it's because it's not about like a thing it's about developing a trait and what you do with it to like that level so you can take it at any time like you know taking it in your undergrad taking it when you're a master's student, a doctoral student, you're taking it when you graduate school, you finish school. Um, because it's about creating this identity 
again. Yeah, it sounds very value added, like just picking someone where they're at, meeting them where they're at and helping them figure oh, out how yeah. you're going to take a step forward in these ways they may not have thought about before. Absolutely. And like the thing is, there's there's an exercise called the TES event planner. And it's where I used to do this with the entire group that I was like teaching. Like I would go to like a university and there'd be like, I don't know, 50 to 100 people, music students. And I would split people up into groups. And then they would have seven minutes to fill out this event planner. And on the event planner, it's like name of your event, time of your event, uh, you know, resources that you have, obstacles that you're going to face, um, people involved, like all those things. And then they, they create a random idea and people like, they think they're funny by like creating something really, really just random. And then I have people come and present it. And then like, we kind of like workshop it a little bit. And then at the end, I'm just like, who here heard an idea that they, they think is like really cool. Like everyone's hand goes up. It's like, who here heard an idea that they feel that they can support either by like their skills or just like through their like participation, every hand goes up. And then I'm like, that took seven minutes. Yeah. Right. For an idea that maybe never existed or an idea that you shut down before you said it out loud. Mm. Seven minutes. And you already have all this support and you already have these, these things. So it's, yeah, it's a really cool, really cool thing. I did my best to listen to you right there. But as you were talking about coming up with an idea and you said, name your event and like, like right. that, <laughs> this idea popped into my head to start a water park called That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I feel like that would be a hilarious idea because then everyone's I like, mean, what is this water? Right. <laughs> is it spit well, or is it condensation? So some people like think of their like passion, their like mission and everything. And then like, what am I going to call this? But more often than not, I will think of a name for something. And then figure out what it's going to be. And yeah. then figure out what it's going to what it's going to be. But I mean, like, and that's like obviously like a huge thing. Like, uh, how do I like open a water park when I'm like doing all these other jobs? But it's more like, well, what else could it be? And it's like, well, maybe it's like a, I don't know, maybe it's like an attraction at a party. It's kind of like a slip and slide type thing for musicians. And, and maybe it, because it's not about what your idea is. I think it's about what your idea starts as and then what it sure, grows into. Yeah. So it's like what that reminds you of. Because it's like, well, maybe it's like a slip and slide thing. And it's like, oh, I remember slip and slides when I was a kid at like barbecues. Like, oh, man, there should be more barbecues. It should be like a musician's barbecue. And it's like, oh, man, now I have this idea of like. A pool at having... the end and then there's a sign with an arrow. It's just my logo. And <laughs> it's just an arrow pointing to the pool at the end of the slip and slide. It's yeah. not spit. <laughs> Sorry, I know that's so random, but I just couldn't stop thinking about when it. When it's random. I had to and, just and get it out. No, I'm glad you did. You heard it here, folks, <laughs> from, from Ryan Beach. So I actually have a question that I'm interested in, and hopefully my mm -hmm. audience is interested in, but this is a very like selfish question. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you deal with burnout? Because you're doing a lot, and it can be, for what I notice yeah. is that I really enjoy the work that I'm doing, but... Even right now, there's just a, like a layer sometimes. It's not like exhaustion, but there's like a layer of just like, I'm kind of tired, but it's like there, you know? And mm -hmm. I'm sure part of it's like, I'm not sleeping as well as I could or I should. Maybe I do need a vacation like we were talking about. Right. Um, and it's going to be the same for everybody. But I think sometimes it's difficult to just avoid that at certain times where you have a lot going on. And so I'm kind of curious for you, um, what is 
what does burnout look like for you? How do you deal with it? How do you sort of recharge any of these types of things? Like I, the idea of self-care, but more towards the idea of you're just spending, like you said, a lot of mental energy on things you really care about. And how do we manage mm -hmm. that so we can do this long term? It's so real, the burnout thing. And then, and then you know, some things related to it that are are much bigger. Because for me to come in and be like, I'm paid to be here and to be like this hype man and to be like super energetic and I'll follow your dreams, make up whatever you want, let's do it. And then like, well, that's easy for you to say because like, I mean, whatever. Like, like I have my own things going on. Um, so the idea of like being motivated always comes up. Like, how do you stay motivated and things like that? And being motivated is not really necessarily a choice. Like there are like, it's like you are thinking positively like you know your brain does sort of like start to believe after enough time They're like oh i guess we're we're happy we are we are good um not necessarily that simple all the time or even maybe most of the time but it's it's how do we become it not deciding to become it necessarily um but in the things that motivate me and get me excited might be different than other people but some of the things that get me excited are being around other people that are like that. You know, it's kind of like having a workout partner. You know, like I don't feel like working out. And it's like, it was like, no, you're gonna like, you're gonna be so happy you did it. And you're like, oh. And then you go and you're like, thanks. Like, thanks for getting me to do it. I do feel a lot better. I'm glad I did it. So having other people that have this this energy and and these ideas, somebody else that can push the rock with you, um, maybe for you for a minute. And then and then just being around that. So your atmosphere is huge in general. I mean, like, I just like think about when you're at Northwestern, like the atmosphere, like the other players, like you were going to, you were going to shed because like of what was around you. Yeah, definitely. And maybe some of it is healthy. Maybe some of it is unhealthy, but the idea is that you still did it. You still did things and felt a certain way based on your atmosphere and your surroundings. So I think creating like a very positive and rich environment, um, whatever that is for you. Um, as because I started TES, like I was saying, when I was 24, and now I'm 29, and that doesn't seem like a big difference. But for all my fellow friends that are getting to 30, or they're like, they're 30, a little bit above, it is different. <laughs> it is certainly different. Just ask my metabolism. So, um, I can't do things the same. I used to just like, I was so productive at night, I would just like crank things out like 10 to 2, uh, 10 p.m. to the 2 a.m., and now I do my best work 5 a.m. to like 9 a.m. Yeah. Um, so like having that shift. So I think it's like knowing when you're the most productive, um, but taking care of yourself along the way. I think we're able to withstand burnout when we're younger because we, I don't know, like we're just have like more energy or like our bodies are like, you know, not decomposing as much or something <laughs> like that. But then... So I can't do what I what I used to do. So I have to do it a different way. Um, so the other thing is like burnout can happen. It will happen. And doing our best to not be ashamed about it is, is to give us that break. Because um, it's our mind and our body in some way saying, I'm doing this for you. You don't know this, but I'm doing it for you for a reason. So listening to that. You know, taking the time to to recover and heal. I think a big thing is people are burnt out. Maybe they're not really experiencing burnout, but they are experiencing lack of passion. 
So then it's figuring out like, yeah, I was just like, I'm a great player and all, but like, I just, I don't know. I'm burnt out. I don't want to do this. And it's just like, maybe you're just not passionate about this exactly. Maybe you don't want to do excerpts. Maybe you like doing solos. Maybe you want to do chamber music. Maybe you want to like teach. Maybe you want like these other things. And it's not that you've given up on this thing, but like you've put more into the passion. You're going like like with the current versus against the current on some things. Um, so, you know, those are, those are a couple of things uh, to do that. I mean, I live off coffee big time, so that helps me. Um, but sleep is super important now. Um, uh, I can't eat as much Taco Bell as I used to or would like to. That's it's not real. the worst thing. Yeah, <laughs> I do grieve it from time to time that cheesy gordita crunch. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That it's yeah. like not on the menu, but you get it because like, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's on the menu now. But gosh, yeah. cheesy gordita crunch. But it's probably a good thing we've left that behind. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, if if I may actually use this time, it, it seems like an interesting segue from Taco Bell, but from from everything else, the idea of burnout is I think that it's it's developed into a much more severe form. Um, it always has been, but it's, it seems to be a lot more prevalent now, which is with mental health. And I think more and more people are are experiencing it now, myself included. Um, but we're not used to it. We, we, we like never, we saw it as that. Maybe we see it as burnout. Maybe we see it as laziness. Maybe we see it as lack of motivation. But it could be something, something much, much more that we haven't faced before. Um, so if you're listening or like you maybe see this in somebody uh, somebody else. I feel like I'm on like the radio as if this is like to millions of people. If you're listening out there. It's still like 250 um, people. <laughs> 251 now that my, my mother start listening to the things that I'm on. Um, so uh, I guarantee like this might be something that um, you could be experiencing. And if not, great. But someone you know is um, because the music world is so connected. Um, so if this feels like you, um, we, we really need to be taking care of ourselves. And I didn't really know what that meant for a long time. I was like, Oh, taking care of myself. I will not work as much. I will like, I will like take these things out of my schedule. But it's not about taking things out of your schedule necessarily. It's about putting things into your schedule that are for you and for like your physical health. Like, I know you do all this lifting, like, what would you do if you weren't lifting? Like the play, you're just like, I don't want to go down that dark hole. Oh. Uh, uh, but maybe it's like exercising, it's eating better, uh, things like that. So it's, it's to like, be okay that, that you're there. Um, it's okay to start communicating, you know, with people and stuff like that. Um, because I think when we're burned out or retired or something much, much more, we're just going to shut down. We're just going to isolate. Um, and that we're going to be seen as lazy or unmotivated or like lacking ambition, um, things like that. But, you know, starting the conversation that way, this is not to call anybody out by say, but I, I guess if anything, it's like to put it out there that like, it's okay. And that people care and that you can talk about it. Um, and that you should talk about it because that's going to be, you know, how we move forward, how we like might start, feeling more like ourselves doing air quotes again. Um, so I think coming back to the original, I'll get off my soapbox about mental health, but, uh, no, I think it's a good conversation. I, I'm in total support. Yeah. Um, the idea of burnout or like lack of doing things and lack of wanting to do, to do things 
comes back to like recharging, being re-inspired and taking care of ourselves and those around us that will get us moving again. You know, as much as you might want to run, if like I, I hurt my Achilles and I just couldn't run. And uh, Garrett Klein, my Dallas Brass colleague, his wife, Mara, is a big runner. And she was my coach and she was just like helping me through this. And I'm like, okay, it's been like a week. I'm just going to run again. And then I was just get hurt again. So and it, it's not about necessarily wanting to do this stuff all the time. It's about, am I in a place where I can? Um, and am I doing this in such a way where I won't hurt myself, that I won't like overly fatigue myself? Um, and again, that's not saying like you can't work hard to do things, but it's about like you working smarter and you working differently, especially in whatever place you're in, whether that's you creeping up in age <laughs> or whether it's that you have like bigger things going on. Uh, it's about doing it differently. Um, same thing with any other obstacle, right? Like you're running on this path and it's like, there's a wall. It's like, well, I guess I'll stop because I got that. No, I got that wall. And it's just like, have you tried going around the wall? Have you tried getting a running start and jumping over the wall? Uh, have you tried uh, getting on a plane and flying over the wall? Like there's all these other options to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where like the creative problem solving comes in. And we do that all the time as musicians. And I know you do that a lot with your coaching. It's like these creative problem solving. It's not just like, try this, boo, 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 and you play it like, play like that. And then they play it like, yeah, that didn't sound very good. I guess you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I guess you're not meant to do that. <laughs> Well, and what you're speaking to is something I hear in the the fitness industry all the time. And I think it has a 100% direct correlation to every single thing we'll ever do in our life, which is the long game is what's going to get you as far as you could possibly go. So in in training, a lot of people are so concerned with trying to make progress as quickly as they possibly can that they might take some shortcuts or they might try to lift too much too soon or something like that. And if you hypothetically injure yourself, you're going to have to go backwards and then you're going to have to figure out a more sustainable way to do it. And if you aren't on board with that, you're basically going to go forward, get injured, come back, go forward, get injured, come back. And you're ended up, you're going to end up not going as far as you could have gone, hypothetically speaking. You know, there's no coulda, woulda, shoulda. But if you hold both things up against each other, slow progress for 30, 40 years is going to get you further than continuing to get injured. And I think it speaks very well to what you're describing, which is we have to find a sustainable way to take care of ourselves so that we can sustain this over the long term in a way that's not going to kill us, essentially, you know, or mm -hmm. take over every life priority that, you know, we can't just have these things take over every single thing that would be good for us just be rounded human beings, right? We, okay. we can't, I and mean, people do that. I hear it all the time. People do that. They become workaholics and that's all that matters. And they're just like, I got to make this money. As soon as I make this amount of money, everything's going to be great and I could figure it out. It's all, And David Goggins talks about this where he's like, people are trying to work really, really hard so they can get to a point where they don't have to do anything anymore. They can just rest, right? Retirement. And this idea that we're all working really hard so that one day, well, we all, but the idea that you're working really hard to get to a point where someday you don't have to work anymore is like not, in my opinion, is not how human beings are designed. We're designed to be people that contribute through the things that we do and that it doesn't necessarily have to be a life of like, I'm just going to kill myself for 40 years and then basically do nothing. It can be like just a slow, sustainable sort of. I think you, I think you see that in musicians most. They're like, I'm retired. And then they'll do something else related to music. Like I talked about my teacher, Patrick Sweden, and he, he was in the Navy 
band. He ran the Navy Fleet Program. He conducted in Hawaii. He conducted in D.C. He conducted the Naval Academy Band. And then he retired, quote, retired. And now he moved to his hometown, I think, in Montana, uh, where he grew up. He retired. And now he's just like, I'll, I'll teach elementary band. Like, so it's like that's somebody's like job for years, and that's his retirement job. When Gary Green, the conductor at University of Miami, retired, I still saw him at conferences. He looked busier than yeah. he was. That's before. what people say. Retirement is somehow busier than than uh, when they were working. So yeah, I completely agree. I'm trying to figure that out for myself right now. There's times where I feel like I make some strides and I figured something out, but then all of a sudden I still feel like tired. And you're like, well, it's like it's like sort of this lifelong thing, but sort of trying to help put yourself in a situation where you can be, as you've described very well, I think, um, productive and and be able to provide something that's of value to people that can help you, you know, share whatever it is that you want to share. And doing that over a career, like I said, of 40 years is going to be a lot better than one incredibly productive year. And then you just are like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I I've enjoyed growing up. Uh, so to speak, because like that means the friends that I have have grown up to. <laughs> That's how you know time works. Um, it's not just for me, but um, you know when I'm younger, it's like I might like all of a sudden like I'm working, work, 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 and then I'll just like sleep for like eleven hours or something, and, and I'm like oh, I slept for even hours. People are like, whoa, like that's crazy. Like, are you okay? <laughs> and then, but now I'm older, and like I'll do something like that, and then I'll have friends be like, you must have needed it. Yeah. And then I'm just like, oh, now I don't feel like garbage that like I did that. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking back to like maybe an earlier version of myself and like, yes, yeah, doing all these things and being productive and being this. I, my friends used to say this to me all the time because I was the guy at Peabody in my master's that was always on their phone because I was just calling, making things happen. So I'd be on the courtyard and be like on my phone. And the original logo for TES is a man, a silhouette man on a phone, uh, you know, kind of like being about me. And they would be like, what are you doing? I was like, just a busy boy doing busy boy things. And then they got me a mug that says that, like a coffee mug that says being a busy boy doing busy boy things. Um, and I think earlier, like I was a little bit of a workaholic and, you know, for, for different reasons, maybe trying to prove something, maybe trying to, you know, not be a starving artist, um, maybe for like the idea of not doing something made me feel guilty. So that's like a trait of high functioning anxiety. And it's just like, I have to be doing something, otherwise I'm failing or otherwise I'm lazy and stuff. Um, and then it's like the idea of trying to be successful in some way for some reason. Um, but later on, it's more about, well, what good can I do with this? And then it becomes a lot more about the people that are involved in what you do and that are impacted by what you do versus you and what you do. Um, so, I mean, whatever gets you like out of bed and doing things like more power to you, but we're talking about sustainability here too. Yeah, for sure. And, and oftentimes we, we hit something and that's when we realize it versus ahead of time. We're just like, go, go, go. And then something, your body will just, like shut down or something will happen. Um, and then you're like, I need to change. And that's usually when people start eating better, when people start exercising yeah, right, more right, right. is when like something occurred. But um, yeah, cool. Dude, Lots this heavy stuff. this has been a great conversation. I'm so glad we got to do this, and oh, I appreciate it, man. Um, I've had a good time. Too. Yeah, well, how, I mean, there's on. it's clearly there's more stuff to talk about, so we'll just have to get you back on uh, in the future sometime when we can 
we can keep digging. Uh, for the meantime, though, uh, for all people who are interested in trying to see the stuff you're doing or get in touch with you or anything like that, where can people find you? BillyDeckler.com. No, uh, <laughs> anything, anything Buddy Deschler. Uh, so BuddyDeschler.com, uh, typing Buddy Deschler on Instagram. So at B Deschler Music. Buddy Deschler on Facebook is my page. Um, so yeah, just communicating that way. I love putting the social and social media. So like reaching out, um, you know, being in touch, uh, being of help in whatever way that I can. Uh, so I say this at the end of my entrepreneurship lecture, but I say, stay in touch. And I mean it because a lot of the time in music, we'll just be like, Oh yeah, stay in touch. Good to see you. Like, Oh yeah, do you too. And then like, that's it. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll reach back out. Be like, Oh, I kind of need something from Ryan. So I'll, re I'll reach out to Ryan again. It's been, the <laughs> but stay in touch. I mean it. Um, I love making the music world smaller and smaller and smaller um, because it allows, you know, for things like this, you know, this to happen, good conversations, good people. So yeah, cool. Buddy Deschler, anything. Or Bud Eats is my food Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And my, sis, my sister came up with that name. So check any of that stuff out if you are hoping to get in touch uh, with Buddy. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do that at thatsnotspit.com or that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode or had any feelings whatsoever, if you wouldn't mind giving it a like and a review. I get, gosh, I get my, my things mixed up. Giving a rating and a review on iTunes, I'd appreciate it. Don't forget to share this on social media so other people can find the episode as well. Thank you, buddy, one more time for being on my show. Oh, it was yeah. a pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure. I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing. And we'll see you next time. Hello, 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 That's Not Spit fans, and welcome to the secret message of today's episode. I want to talk about something today that Buddy touched on briefly in this episode, and he made it seem like a lot of fun, and I want to assure you that it is not. It is a surefire way to indigestion, stomach cramps, and other nasty symptoms. And that is having ice cream for dinner. Don't do it, and remember... Shh, don't tell Ryan.